Hi, welcome to season three of the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is chat number 22. Donald Trump, catch 22, Debbie Dingle, the United Nations, Hope, and more all receive mention and attention today. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Thank you, Candy, for that kind introduction. This is Lee. And this is Dave. Hey, and welcome to our present day audience. Our audiences in years, decades, centuries from now. Millennia. Dave, how about our current and future AI audience? Hey, folks. Alien audience, we know you're out there and we love you. We love you. Our universal audience, so glad to have you all listening. Thank you again for joining us in this podcast series. We like to begin by having you reflect on these two questions as we go through our discussion today. The first of those two questions is, what are your ideals And the second is, what are your pictures? So, Lee, in the two books and in some of our podcasts, we have shared a picture for a new global government. This global government structure that we've proposed by our picture would not be a flash cut or immediate. In the picture for government that's presented in the two books, we picture the world transitioning to a true global democracy over a period of three decades in a way that supports equality for all, the rule of law applied equally and fairly to all, the right to vote, with voting made easily accessible to all, and a balance of power that keeps any individual or any group from exerting an unequal or unfair amount of power. Okay, that's a pretty vivid picture. Yep. At the same time that we would have a global government that would support our safety, and security and all of our basic rights and our ideals, we also would have a global government and a global society that would support all of the microcultures mm. that humanity might wish to have, as long as there's no harm in any form that is done to any other individual group or another microculture. A primary motivation for that picture is the fact that the biggest problems in the world now require global solutions. Mm. We've talked about this in previous discussions. These problems absolutely cannot be solved by a single nation-by-nation basis, particularly when there is not comprehensive cooperation among the nations of the world. Here are some examples of these problems or opportunities. Climate change, global pandemics, income inequality, hunger, religious and spiritual intolerance, inefficiency of global supply chains, lack of workforce mobility, lack of global mobility, gaps in cybersecurity systems, health issues and unequal life expectancy, unequal access to learning, to technology, and to education and innovation. And of course, this list could go on. Yeah, Lee, in some ways, it seems like we uh, have still this view of looking at what to do in the world and in our country and nation with a lens that's really centuries old. Yes. We're still acting as if the world isn't as small as it is. We're still acting as if we don't have this interdependency on each other that always crosses national lines. Mm -hmm. And we're acting like there's other problems besides these that we've listed Mm -hmm. that, that are above those. And these are the big problems. Yes. And they're all 
global. Mm-hmm. They all cross national boundaries. So in our world today here in 2024, we are still some distance away from the picture we've described where we could have a global government. We're not there. We continue living with a structure of nations and national governments that are based on aggression, wars, and conflicts. That's how national boundaries have typically been set up is yeah, through those. And typically around resource grabs and, yeah. we- and wealth building. Yeah, yeah. And this structure of nations that has been cobbled together is not equipped and is ineffective at solving the problems of today, which are global, as we've said. The structure of nations is also not equipped and is ineffective at allowing the development of microcultures that would support individual and group expressions for individuals and groups that do and wish harm to none and that support equality for all. So just as an example, if people in the United States, and we talk about being an American, but if people could actually establish microcultures within America Mm -hmm. that were to their liking, that did no harm to each other, Mm -hmm. but that people were allowed to express these other things freely, we would have a lot of microcultures yes. that were okay and approved and that we all agreed they're all right to have. Yeah, and I think we would agree that, that would enrich our lives. And we inst- because diversity enriches. Exactly. And we instead have debates, fights, aggression over which microculture should be the one mm-hmm. American culture. And it just works against all of us. Yes. Yeah. So today we have culture conflicts that are really all around the globe. Frequently cultures want to do harm to other cultures, submerge them or even eliminate them altogether. Yes. Yeah. So at the same time, we're seeing some major momentum for the equality for all movement. We're seeing momentum in so many corners of the world and across the globe for what we are taglining as the equality for all movement. This movement is creating awesome momentum that in the future can signal the end, perhaps, of gender bias, of racism, of religious and spiritual intolerance, of caste systems and culture conflicts. Ah, but in response to that, the power systems in place today that drive and reinforce these inequalities are terrified of this heightened momentum for equality for all. And, so to speak, nod to Star Wars, the Empire is fighting back. Yes. That surge of authoritarian and dictatorship that we're seeing in actions and messaging then inaccurately, deceitfully, and abusively says things like, gender bias is right and deserved. Racism is right and deserved. Privilege for the wealthy is right and deserved. Other types of inequality are right and deserved. And resistance to these historic power systems is futile. These forms of inequality are not only inevitable, but they're desirable. So what are these power systems, weaponized messages and actions that we're talking about? Well, there's a lot of them. They typically involve messaging uh, that is based on fear, deceit, lies. Oh, more More fear. fear. Here's another helping of fear. Yeah. Haven't had enough of that. Anger, misdirection, look over there, not here. Creating confusion, creating chaos, creating complexity, and creating enemies. And the system they propose as an alternative to a truly democratic equality for all picture for government is an authoritarian form of governance, or perhaps even a dictatorship that would protect 
current privileges given to men, to white people, and to the wealthy. It would continue to try to pit marginalized groups against one another, fighting over the few crumbs of power that the truly powerful and privileged deign to allow as some absurd form of appeasement. We'll give you a little decision-making power yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here in the United States in the year 2024, this counterattack against equality for all is led by former President Donald Trump. Who's that guy again? He uses all of these <laughs> tactics. He uses fear, deceit, lies, more fear. Anger, misdirection, creates confusion, creates chaos, creates complexity, and by doing all of those things, creates enemies. As an example, on a recent Sean Hannity show, Trump made 24... I'm sorry, how many? 24 okay. false or misleading claims in five minutes. If my math is right, that's about one every 12 seconds. That's hard to do, but he did it. That's that's hard to talk that fast. It's hard and to do, do it. <laughs> okay, so in an analysis by Glenn Kessler of the Fact Checker organization on December 12, 2023, Kessler concluded that in this interview, quote, a bogus claim was made every 12 seconds on average. That's what a single 5-minute clip of former President Donald Trump speaking in uh, Iowa on December 5th yielded. We went through a transcript, Kessler said, of Trump's response noting each false or misleading statement in bold face and providing a timestamp. The first falsehood comes in the 43rd seconds. And and we're not talking about here perspectives. So Lee and I have talked about even in our previous podcast we've talked yes. about finding that layer of fact yes. and fa- you know layer of truth and then Let's talk about our perspectives mm-hmm. and reaction to mm-hmm. that. And our perspectives can be different. That's not what they're fact-checking here. Right. They're fact-checking that facts. layer of facts. <laughs> what we've called central truth. And we've talked about that if if we're not going to get agreement and we're not going to seek those central truths as a starting point for our exchanges, really there's no point in going beyond that. Everything else is irrelevant. It's based on completely shaky ground yep. and on erroneous ground. Yes. So... Here is a quote from the classic book uh, by author Joseph Heller, Catch-22. If you've not read it, you should. The quote says, It was miraculous. It was almost no trick at all, he saw, to turn vice into virtue and slander into truth, impotence into abstinence, arrogance into humility, plunder into philanthropy, thievery into honor, blasphemy into wisdom, brutality into patriotism, and sadism into justice. Anybody could do it. It required no brains at all. It merely required no character. Mm. End quote. Well, this surge in authoritarianism and the drive to sustain inequitable systems depends on, quote, selling as many people as possible that their particular bias is under siege and that authoritarianism or dictatorship will be the savior for maintaining their preferred biases or their privilege or their belief in inequality. As another example of the Trump counterattack against equality for all, here are excerpts from an article from AXWA in November of last year, 2023, and it was titled, If Trump Wins in 2024, He Has a Dangerous Tool for Wrecking the Government. So here's some quotes from that article. 
a well-financed right-wing think tank is helping arm Trump with an army of loyalists. Earlier this year, we learned that the Heritage Foundation, a right-wing think tank in Washington, is spearheading a project to staff a future Trump administration with tens of thousands of pre-vetted appointees who would be tasked with, quote, dismantling the administrative state from day one, end quote. On Monday, published details about what the vetting process would look like came out, and it appears custom-tailored to generate an army of mindless Trump loyalists, the article says. Heritage's initiative called Project 2025 has a reported budget of over $20 million, and it is designed to help Trump transform the federal government overnight if he wins the 2024 election. During his first term, Trump was routinely hamstrung in executing policies and abusing power because he either failed to fill key bureaucratic positions or he was foiled by resistant appointees. This time, Trump allies are focused on gutting the federal government's existing bureaucracy and replacing it with sycophants. Heritage helped Trump with staff members hired during his first term. Johnny McEntee, who was director of the White House Presidential Personnel Office under Trump, is a senior advisor to the Heritage Project. Heritage's president said that the project is, quote, orders of magnitude larger than any other such project for a party out of power. If Trump were to win, it could cause a major rupture in the way the federal government operates. It's not surprising that Trump would value loyalty over expertise, but it is alarming that seasoned and well-financed conservatives are helping him bring his vision to fruition. A cadre of slavish acolytes can potentially turbocharge his capacity to wreak habit in office. End of the article. The examples are constant. Trump and his followers' desire is for an authoritarian form of governance, perhaps even a dictatorship that would protect current privilege given to men, to whites, and to the wealthy. It would continue to try and pit marginalized groups against one another, as we've stated before, fighting over the crumbs of power that the privilege would deign to give them as some form of appeasement. So the gobsmacking examples of deceit, deception, lying, and misdirection in the current authoritarian and dictatorship movement are virtually infinite. They're endless. They happen daily with the authoritarian and dictatorship movement in the United States. And on January 5 of this year, 2024, as an example, Steve Bennon had a column about a January 1 rant by Trump. Here's some excerpts. On January 1st, Donald Trump accused Joe Biden of illegally receiving money from China. There's now fresh evidence of Trump illegally receiving money from China. On New Year's Day, Donald Trump spent the holiday the way he tends to honor most special occasions. The former president published a series of hysterical tirades to his social media platform. But what makes Trump's January 1st rant especially notable now was one specific claim. The Republican, hoping to identify, quote, actual crimes, accused Biden of, quote, illegally receiving massive amounts of money from foreign countries, including China, end quote. Well, in reality, the Democratic incumbent Biden never received massive amounts of money from foreign countries, but there's fresh evidence that the politician making the allegation did. Ah, Democrats on the House Oversight Committee released a devastating report called White House for Sale. 
Relying on documents from Trump's former accounting firm, congressional researchers determined that the Republicans' businesses received at least $7.8 million from 20 foreign governments over a two-year period while Trump was in the White House, despite prohibitions for this kind of action in the U.S. Constitution. An NBC News report added China was, quote, the leading spender, paying more than $5.5 million to Trump-owned properties. Now, Lee, if somebody listening to this says, why just don't, I'm not sure that those numbers are right. Yeah. I'm not sure those are the facts. They seem politically motivated. Yeah. Let's sit down together and look at multiple sources, reliable sources, and let's find out that layer of facts, the one truth Mm -hmm. about the facts, the numbers. Let's do that together. Yes. Let's do. And if there's not a willingness to do that and then accept the results of that, where can we go from there? There, there's, there's no place to go because no then, to go. then we're sharing perspectives that aren't based on facts, facts. that aren't based on a layer of facts. Yes. So it's so important. Yes. So we would say, put another way, the former president accusing his successor of illegally receiving massive amounts of money from China oversaw a business empire during his time in office that appears to have illegally received massive amounts of money from China. If it seems like the Republicans' I'm rubber, your glue approach to the public discourse keeps coming up, it's not your imagination. Accused of being an insurrectionist, Trump called Biden an insurrectionist. And this is all from the NBC News report. Accused of attacking democracy, Trump says Democrats are attacking democracy. Accused of being a puppet for Vladimir Putin, I think we all remember this example from the debate. For example, Trump said Hillary Clinton was the actual puppet. No puppet, no puppet, he said. You're the puppet. Accused of obstructing justice, Trump said Democrats were obstructing justice. Accused of executing a quid pro quo with Ukraine, Trump said it was his partisan foes who executed a quid pro quo with Ukraine. Oh, it continues. Accused of racism, Trump said his critics are racist. When then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said he had a meltdown during behind-the-scenes negotiations, Trump said Pelosi had a meltdown. Confronted with allegations that his political operation cooperated with Russian operatives, Trump said Democrats colluded with Russia. Told that the Kremlin supported his presidential candidacy, Trump responded by saying Russia supported Democrats. More recently, after Trump tried to get the Justice Department to go after his political foes, he falsely accused Biden of trying to get the Justice Department to go after his political foes. When prosecutors accused the former president of committing crimes, he accused them of committing crimes. If at this juncture you're imagining some kind of image like Lee and I on a schoolyard playground, maybe six or seven years old, yeah. and one of us going, well, you did da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Your hair is stupid. Well, yeah, your hair your is hair stupid. Your hair is stupid. Well, you're slow. You yeah. can't run. Well, you're slow. You can't run. Mm-hmm. If you're getting that imagery, mm-hmm. you're catching that's, it. That's an accurate image. That's an accurate image. That's what this is. So in May of 2016, this is an interesting memory, before Trump got elected, Senator Ted Cruz, of all people, At the time, Trump's rival for the GOP nomination said this about the future president. Ted said, he is a pathological liar. 
He doesn't know the difference between truth and lies. He lies practically every word that comes out of his mouth. And in a pattern that I think is straight out of a psychology textbook, his response is to accuse everybody else of lying. Whatever he does, he accuses everyone else of doing. And Steve Bennon concludes, it now appears this applies to legally dubious payments from China, too. So, Carl Sagan, noted physicist, once said, One of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you get a charlatan power over you, it almost never, you almost never get it back. End quote. So, how do we resist? How do we ride out this rise in authoritarianism and dictatorship on our way to the bright promise and future of our picture of equality for all? Well, we might have some insights that comes from a column in the New York Times of December 23, 2023, by Congressman Debbie Dingell. And the column was titled, How to Stand Up to Trump. It gives some wonderful insights on how to stand up to an authoritarian and wannabe dictator. Here are some excerpts from Congressman Dingell's very powerful and insightful column. Rot in hell. Those words were part of Donald Trump's Christmas Day message spewed at his political enemies. The next day, when I was asked during a CNN interview about the increased violence in this country, I responded honestly that I thought the former president's message was wrong and divisive. I'm not afraid to say what I think, even when that means that there may be unpleasant repercussions and threats from the former president and his supporters. A lot of us may face this type of conflict in the year ahead. I'm particularly familiar with this as Mr. Trump has targeted me in the past in ways that have been very difficult. I was married to a great and wise man with whom I shared an incredible love for decades. I miss John every day. On the day that he died in 2019, he dictated an op-ed to me that would be titled, My Last Words for America. He observed, In our modern political age, the presidential bully pulpit seems dedicated to sowing division and denigrating, often in the most irrelevant and infantile personal terms, the political opposition. Quote, Months after his death, when I voted for the first articles of impeachment against President Trump, he launched into a brutal attack saying that John was, quote, looking up, end quote, at me, implying he was in hell. That's the Trump way. The cruelty is the point. Yet that awareness doesn't make it any less painful. We're human. He knows that, and he thrives on it. Continuing from Congresswoman Dingell, I am not seeking a fight with Mr. Trump. It's not easy to tangle with him, especially after that experience involving John. But I do know that hateful rhetoric cannot be ignored or become normalized. We have to stand up to bullies in this country, and we have to call out indignities. My bluntness about rot in hell being unacceptable was my unfiltered reaction, and I stand by it. In my view, the only way you can deal with bullies is to consistently call out their inexcusable behavior and stand in defense of those they choose to target. Trust me, 
I know it can wear you down, but we can't grow tired and we must push back on the hatred when we see it, calling it out, using language everyone understands and in ways that prevent it from seeping into our everyday lives and routines. Continuing, being in Mr. Trump's tunnel of hate is not enjoyable. Frankly, it's often frightening. Like many of my colleagues, I have received hostile calls, antagonistic mail, and death threats. And I've had people outside my home with weapons. And it reflects the vitriol, bullying, rage, and threats we are witnessing across the country today. From our exchanges on social media to dialogue with each other and with those in our workplaces, schools, gathering places, families, and communities. It's a real danger to our democracy and our safety. Continuing. When I expressed my thoughts about his Christmas message, Mr. Trump took to Truth Social to go after me once again as a, quote, loser. Unfortunately, he also brought John into his rant. I can deal with being called names and subjected to the standard venom that we've all become familiar with in Mr. Trump's social media attacks. But when he brings up John, it's one of the things that hit me hardest. It would be easy to say his words don't hurt, but they do. And I'm sure he knows it. People don't know how much I still miss John, especially this time of year and how easily the tears come. Loneliness is something that is affecting many these days. And the loss of someone who was your total partner and accepting the painful reality he is gone does not happen quickly or easily. It's a hard, exhausting process. But I cannot and will not be bullied or intimidated by anyone. Sometimes tyrants think women will cower. We cannot. We have the strength and courage to do what is right and fight for the betterment of our communities. Continuing, Mr. Trump's style of politics, the disrespect, prejudice, name-calling, and malice that too often gets swept aside as his just calling it as he sees it, makes healthy debate and discussion virtually impossible. The word, quote, Congress, by definition, means coming together. Government shouldn't be about who can make the most noise. It's about working together to find solutions. Take it from me. What Mr. Trump is doing isn't honesty or candor. It's ruthless and deliberate viciousness. We can be sure Mr. Trump's rhetoric will get only more fiery, discordant, and divisive over the next year leading up to the election. We've already seen the dangerous and deadly consequences his words can have, and we cannot become complacent. This isn't just about one man. We all face a choice in how we react to bullies, and we all have a responsibility to choose civility in the face of cruelty. Continuing. What I would encourage people to do, if attacked by Mr. Trump or his supporters, is to not be afraid to challenge the attack. Try to de-escalate the situation by presenting an alternative point of view calmly. Don't let them bait you to descend to their level, because that animosity is exacerbating the problem. We are watching very premeditated and carefully chosen words and actions by Mr. Trump that are stoking anger, further fueling fueling a lack of trust in many institutions, and creating a climate that is threatening democracy. Beware, the dangers are real. 
I'm concerned by Mr. Trump's pledges to rip health care away from Americans and to rule as a dictator and by his applause of political violence. We need to hold people accountable for their words. I know that if John were here, he would tell me to do exactly what I'm doing now, to stand up and make my voice heard and not back down. That's what I'm going to continue to do. And I hope that as we look forward to the year 2024, all of our leaders, elected and and aspiring, will join me. These are very helpful and powerful words from Congresswoman Dingell. Lee, as I listen to, again, wonderful words from her, and I think wonderful direction for all of us in how to uh, respond to the emotion and then the the facts or lies, whatever may be going on at the time. Uh, the thing I'm kind of left with is this notion of you have to react, you have to fight back, I will say, but you do it with ideals. Yes. You fight back with love. Mm-hmm. You fight back with the notion that we're still a global community, mm-hmm. we're still a national community, we're still together. Mm-hmm. But you do fight back and you do it with your ideals. Yes. You don't do it with the worst of you. Not with venom. You do it with the best of yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. So in 1985, long time ago, I wrote a song lyric that I called And God that is on one of my music albums. The song addresses authoritarianism and dictatorship in our world and the need for our future to be different. Authoritarianism and the abuse of power is sadly as old as humanity. Okay, the past and present has always included some people's desire for power, dominion, domination, inequality, and the right to abuse others on top of all that. Today, true equality continues to be under siege, even as the promise of equality for all is looming out in the distance. The song lyric from 1985 goes like this. It's been around since the dawn of man, Darwin gone all wrong. The one who's not ashamed to kills the hero of their song. They hold him high and breathe a sigh, wishing they were he. It started with the caveman, tribe against tribe, Mele. And God, they called him warrior, statues carved in pride. For the taking of another's life, forsaking what's inside. If Genghis Khan set your home on fire, would you beg and scream for more? If Jack the Ripper came to call, would you let him in your door? Men must have their leaders to tell them what is right. Don't be afraid of fear, they say. There's safety in the fright. Vote me in, I will not bend. They all must be like us. We will prevail, our guns won't fail, if in God we trust. And God they made him president, dictator, and king. Be the first to make a move is the ruling thing. The people said, let's hire someone to do our dirty work. But when they gave the guns to him, he always went berserk. If Genghis Khan set your home on fire, would you beg and scream for more? If Jack the Ripper came to call, would you let him in your door? President, king, or terrorist, who cares what name they gave? Will we choose a leader to dig the earthly grave? With a canopy of fire and smoke, a tomb of grass turned gray, finally find somebody to give our choice away? And God, he will not fail us. He'll choose to use the might. Cities, trees all in the past vanished from our sight. Fires to forge our Hades home. Brimstone blocks to stack. 
That can't be our choice. To silence our voice, we must let love attack. Wow, that's a beautiful piece of work, 1985, Dave. Authoritarians are often masters at creating new chaos, new confusion, new complexity, when there wasn't as much of that before. It's part of the authoritarian playbook. Is a part of the appeal of authoritarian leadership a reaction to this artificial overstimulation of chaos, confusion, and complexity that they actually create in our lives? Hmm. Authoritarians will tell you now, everything is chaotic, complicated, and a mess, and it's their fault. They, them. Whoever it is they're trying to label as they. Authoritarians will also try to make democratic efforts as inefficient and ineffective as possible, submarining democratic outcomes whenever possible. We are seeing that here in the 2020s and have actually seen a slow and steady increase in that effort for about four decades. Here's a quotation from the Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote, Unlimited power in the hands of limited people always leads to cruelty. The word that catches me on that quote, Lee, is limited people. Yes. And that's worth reflecting on. It's like, are are we unlimited? Are we full people? While we pander to fear, cruelty, hatred. And I think Solzhenitsyn, who would be a voice that could speak to that, would say, these are limited people. We're in one of those periods where authoritarians like Trump promise to close borders, round up, and kick out of the country those who are different from the quote, real Americans, and offer to, quote, take care of things for you against them. Quote from Voltaire that's worth reflecting on as we hear comments like that, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. This is not a new thing. No. But we keep having to go through this lesson Over and and over again. Why? Why? It always has the same results. It always has the same results. They're disastrous. And then we go, oh, why did we let that happen? Then we pick up the pieces and decide to go do better for a while. And then we start sliding back Mm -hmm. instead of reaching for a higher plane and staying there. Yes. The unmasked intent of that desire for domination effort is to make citizens feel overstimulated, overwhelmed, and negative about their own power and their fellow human beings. There is a method to this. Everything's chaotic. It's confusing. It's complex. It's too. The power mongers will come behind those efforts and say, hey, I can make all of that chaos, confusion, and complexity just go away. I'll fix all of that with a snap of my fingers. It's simple. They unfortunately may have a lot of power till enough people see the charade and bullshit for what it is, which people inevitably do do in time. time. Always. Yes. Happens every time. Yeah. After we've gone through a period of awful things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave and I have talked in previous discussions about using the simple to complex to simple life tool as a way toward repeatable wisdom. Well, in the equality for all movement, we have a much better simple to complex to simple approach than the authoritarians do. 
Our approach is called Ideals and Pictures. It is simple. Anyone can do it. And it will leave us feeling good and hopeful instead of feeling angry, fearful, insecure, negative. Acting, speaking, and choosing through the filter of our ideals and our pictures is simple. Any of us can do it. And it will leave us feeling good. A quote from our old friend Plato. Ah, Plato. Who's millennia ago said, he who does not desire power is fit to hold it. Converse, Plato would say, is who he who desires power is not, not fit, fit to hold it. To hold it. Millennia ago. So relevant today. Yeah. When are we going to take this to a different plane, to a different level? As an alternative to the artificial chaos and confusion, the authoritarians attempt to create in our society, we have a much better way of dealing with any real or imaginary complexity in our day-to-day lives, and it can render the authoritarians' messages and actions impotently. Some things worth repeating here, please. Yes. One of our life tools is called simple to complex to simple. It's a path toward repeatable wisdom. The authoritarians hate it because it kind of pulls the curtain away that's concealing the wizard, and it shows that the emperor indeed has on no clothes. This tool for wisdom is always driven by ideals and pictures. As we've stated, it's simple. Anybody can do it, and it will leave you with a feeling of good and hopefulness instead of anger and fear and insecurity. Oh, but wait, there's even more good news. Efforts have already been made in the past, We're going to go back a little bit here for a global approach to government. So if we're kind of going this idea of a global government or the globe agreeing on certain things, that could never happen. Well, it's already happened. It's already happened. It's already been done. It's based on principles and on wonderful ideals. So people and leaders in the past have already suggested similar pictures to ours, confirming People and leaders in the past have seen the benefit from a form of global governance working for a better world for all of us. So such an effort is described in a recent article from Heather Cox Richardson. And Lee, why don't we read some excerpts from that article? Absolutely. A little history lesson for us all. 75 years ago today, on December 10, 1948, the United Nations General Assembly announced the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We'll call that the UDHR for the rest of this, yeah. The United Nations itself was only three years old at that time, having been formed in 1945 as a key part of an international order based on rules to which nations agreed, rather than on the idea that might makes right, which had twice in just over 20 years brought wars that involved the entire world. The free peoples and all of the people liberated from slavery put in you their confidence and their hope so that everywhere the authority of these rights, respect of which is the essential condition of the dignity of the person be respected. A UN official told the commission at its first meeting in 1946. Heather continues. The UN official noted that the commission must figure out how to define the violation of human rights, not only internationally, but also within a nation and must suggest how to protect quote, the rights of man all over the world, end quote. If a procedure for identifying and addressing violations, quote, had existed a few years ago, he said, the human community would have been able to stop those 
who started the war at the moment when they were still weak, and the world catastrophe would have been avoided, end quote. Heather continues, drafted over the next two years, the final document began with the preamble explaining that a UDHR was necessary because, quote, recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. And because disregard and contempt for human rights have resulted in barbarous acts, which have outraged the conscience of mankind. Because the advent of a world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief and freedom from fear and want has been proclaimed as the highest aspiration of the common people, the preamble said. Human rights should be protected by the rule of law. So 30 articles that followed this establishment that, quote, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights without distinction of any kind, such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion of national or social origin, property, birth or other status, and regardless of the political, jurisdictional or international status of the country or territory to which a person belongs. So that's a very broad sweep. Those rights included freedom from slavery, from torture, from degrading punishment, arbitrary arrest, exile, and, quote, arbitrary interference with privacy, family, home, or correspondence, and attacks upon honor and reputation. They included the right to equality before the law and to a fair trial, the right to travel both within a country and outside of it, the right to marry and to establish a family, and the right to own property. They included the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, freedom of opinion and expression, peaceful assembly, the right to participate in government either directly or through freely chosen representatives, the right of equal access to public service. After all, the UDHR noted, the authority of government rests on the will of the people expressed in periodic and genuine elections, which will be by universal and equal suffrage. End of quote. They included the right to choose how and where to work, the right to equal pay for equal work, the right to unionize, and the right to fair pay that ensures an existence worthy of human dignity. Further, they included the right to a standard of living adequate for health and well-being, including food, clothing, housing, and medical care, necessary social services. Also, the right to security in the event of unemployment, sickness, disability, widowhood, old age, or other lack of livelihood in circumstances beyond an individual's control. They included the right to free education that develops students fully and strengthens respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms. Education, quote, shall promote understanding, tolerance and friendship among nations, among racial or religious groups, and shall further the activities of the United Nations for the maintenance of peace. They also included the right to participate in art and science. They included the right to live in the sort of society in which the rights and freedoms outlined in the UDHR could be realized. And the document concluded, Nothing in this declaration may be interpreted as implying for any state, group, or person any right 
to engage in any activity or to perform any act aimed at the destruction of any of the rights and freedoms set forth herein, end quote. Although eight countries abstained from the UDHR, six countries from the Soviet bloc, South Africa, with apartheid at the time, and Saudi Arabia, no country voted against it, making the vote unanimous. The declaration was not a treaty and was not legally binding. It was a declaration of principles. Oh, so listeners may be going, oh, so probably that got filed away and nothing ever happened with it. Right. Not so fast. Mm -hmm. Yep. Since then, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, UDHR, has become the foundation of international human rights law. More than 80 international treaties and declarations, along with regional human rights conventions, domestic human rights bills, and constitutional provisions, make up a legally binding system to protect human rights. All of the members of the United Nations have ratified at least one of the major international human rights treaties, and four out of five have ratified four or more. But the UDHR does remain aspirational. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said, As we look at the first 75 years of the UDHR, we recognize what we've accomplished in this time, but we also know much work remains. Too often, authorities fail to protect, or worse, trample on human rights and fundamental freedoms, often in the name of security or to maintain their grip on power. Whether arresting and wrongfully detaining journalists and dissidents, restricting an individual's freedom of religion or belief, or committing atrocities and acts of genocide, violations and abuses of human rights undermine progress made in support of the UDHR. In the face of these actions, we must press for greater human rights protections and promote accountability whenever we see violations or abuses of human rights and fundamental freedoms, end quote. So continuing, on its 75th anniversary, the UDHR must continue to be our guiding light as we strive to create the world in which we want to live. Its message is as important today as it was 75 years ago. Human rights belong to everyone, everywhere. End of the article. So, a picture is so powerful. Let's believe in a picture of equality for all and a picture for a new global government for all of us in time and then begin our ideal-based journey toward those pictures. And Lee, let's do it with faith and with hope. Yes, not with fear. Yeah. Not with venom. Yeah. Yeah. This this UDHR is such a message of hope for us. It's one of the most powerful pictures. You know, 75 years ago, this was what came out of the world after a disastrous period. Mm-hmm. It's a huge message of hope. Yes. So let's close today's rather weighty discussion with a moment of optimism, momentum, and gratitude. And while we resist and ride out this temporary rise in authoritarianism and the power system's resistance to the equality for all movement, and while we most effectively do that by emphasizing our ideals and our pictures, we must maintain a 100% steadfast faith in hope. Hope is always fully and vigorously alive. Never doubt it. With every single act of kindness that we do every day, hope grows stronger. With every single act of help that we do every day, hope gets even stronger. With every single act of love that we do every day, hope grows. 
Hope lives on even stronger than before whenever we do a good thing, a right thing, a best thing, an ideal-based thing. There is always new and stronger hope created when we do even one of those things. Hope has nothing to do with the odds or likelihood of a particular outcome that we might like to see. Hope comes from our words, from our actions, and our choices. Hope springs eternal from the ideal and picture-driven quality of the actions we take, the words we speak, and the choices we make. So in closing, what are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? What are your words to speak? What are your choices to make? And what is your influence to use? Thank you so much for joining us today. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.